Mech trap. Stop a 40-ton mech with a 40-foot pit. I'd call that a good trade. Henning Fields, instructor, Sandhurst Military Academy. You're listening to Wolfnet Radio, the show that challenges you to always be yourself. I'll be your host this evening, Matthew, booting up Bloodbath Barons. Uh, tonight, co-host joining us, as always, Andrew, what do you mean adjusted? Metal Krill. Good evening, guys. Adjusted? Where'd that come from? <laughs> so you guys, you guys, have, have we ever told them where you come up with the your little catchphrases that we have? How, how do you come up with that? We almost have to do a whole podcast I'm, on that stuff. I'm sorry. I'm derailing it right at the beginning, but no, that's fine. He, Matt Every... does a great job of, it does a great job of little conversations throughout the month that we have. He'll find something that someone said that was a little weird or off or whatever. And that's how <laughs> we get our call side for the month. <sighs> Every time so, we're in messenger or there's a Facebook message or something or a reaction, it's like, Oh, okay. And then that's, I'll have to remember that for the podcast to throw in just for fun. I, I think I so only I always 50% of them. I always try and remember. I always try and figure out what it is too. I, I don't look either. <laughs> I always try and get surprised when it comes up, like or try and remember it as you go through everybody else's. So, and then usually Sorry. someone has to throw in mine too, because you never know what's going to happen. Cause it just gives us a, a, a smirky cut off, cut off, uh, off balance at the beginning of the show for fun. Yeah. Um, also co-host tonight, Aaron, midnight caller, Coach Crawl. <laughs> I mean, that was Monday night, dude. <laughs> Monday night. What happened Monday night? Probably something you shouldn't Monday talk about night. on the show. <laughs> you had too much to drink, uh, as always. You reached out to someone. Oh yeah, like yeah okay. A, like you were making a booty call. Was that Monday night? <laughs> that was Monday. That was Monday night. Wow. You, you this week is remember what night it was. This week's been crazy. And uh we also have uh, on the show tonight, as we as usual, Luke Sometimes I Scare Myself, Charles Gideon Dirks. That's a true statement. <laughs> Sometimes I'm really scary to me. Probably not to anybody else, but to me I am. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And special guest tonight, even though Tommy's not with us, he's going to be on the road. So with no further ado, uh, we have a freelance writer for Battletech with contributions in battle technology, battle core, Catalyst Game Labs, such as uh, novels like Icons of War, and most recently, Elements of Treason, Duty, the illustrious Craig Reed. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Hi, Craig. Hello. Illustrious. I like that. Illustrious. That's a good yeah. word. You have to look that one up. It's a good definition. <laughs> it's it's being known for a specific achievement in life. <laughs> He's such an as, author. I'm pretty sure he knows what as, it means. Such as writing cool novel novels. Yeah. There All right. Go. So uh let's get into it. Uh tonight we're gonna cover a whole ton of uh interview questions. And we'll also we can... cover some latest and greatest uh releases and updates and uh then we'll go through some more questions and then we'll do some future things we're going to talk about so craig 
thanks for taking the time out to come talk with us and any of the listeners that might be out there. How, how did you, where did you start off in your background of writing? Oh, well, actually, uh, I have to go back to the mid eighties and how technology was the first time I really thought about writing. Uh, I was uh, working with a friend of mine, uh, Rob Madsen, who has sadly passed on. Uh, decided, because uh, we were both uh, Baltech fanatics at the time, decided we'd try to write something. So first thing we submit was the Suburban Mech. It was suburban a, Mech. Uh, a Suburban Mech. Oh, yep. this sounds awesome. And it's basically the same one that popped up in uh, on the recent shrapnel issues just a fasting moving urban mech with a PBC instead of a uh, AC-10. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, I like that. Mech. It's not quite, yeah. you know, your, it's not quite your slower lumbering auto cannon spitting, you know, trash can. It's, it's got a little bit more energy efficiency or uh, energy efficiency and it's a little bit faster. I like the sound of that. Was it the same tonnage? Yeah. Basically, what you did, what I did was just took off the AC-10, stuck on a PVC. Uh, I think one or two more heat sinks was enough. Uh, Times left over to upgrade the engine from a 60 to a 90. That's outstanding. And and slap on a uh, extra jump jet. Oh, well, that's so, a nice little mech. You submitted that, and that appeared in Bell Technology number 16. And then we got ambitious. <laughs> we decided that we were going to do a three-set uh, thing and submit that to Battle Technology. That turned out to be a story, a battle mech, and a scenario. And, well, he co-wrote the uh, story, and I designed the... Uh, no, Rob designed the uh, actual mech. I named it. And I designed the scenario. And that turned out to be in Bell Technology issue number 21, the last one they ever had. I don't know what we did wrong, but apparently we were, <laughs> it was the death knell of the magazine. <laughs> well, Way to go, Craig. <laughs> if you had to go out, I don't know if anybody's ever played that mech before. I have. That thing is a great time. You haven't it, mentioned it, the name. I'm not going to steal your thunder. <clears throat> it, the Rattlesnake is basically uh, upgraded uh, up firepower Jenner. We see what we did was we had just gotten the uh, new new stuff, the uh, technical update. Had all the uh, brand new stuff like the XL engine and the double heat sinks. And uh, my friend Rob was a computer science major. And he tore, he tore that down, and he built this mech. It was actually part of a system that we had put together that was uh, consisted of several mechs, and it was going to be a hammer anvil type of thing in which these light mechs would be the hammer, and then we'd have heavier, uh, we based off Crusader, uh, heavier mechs that would be the anvil. And the only ones that really... Any traction was the uh, Genomod, which is called a Rattlesnake. Now, a Rattlesnake 
is basically a Jenner with seven medium lasers. And it is badass. <laughs> Play that. It's a good time. <clears throat> it, you get that in your back and you're going to know it. You, you're going to shoot what? <laughs> it's also so, as fast. What was the, it was also, what was the armor like on that? I mean, everything uh, upgraded? Just a, I, think we, I think he maxed out the armor. Nice. But that thing couldn't carry any more armor. And it was as fast as Jaren could jump farther. Oh. It was a 7-11-7. I guess this thing, this thing cost uh, about three times a regular Jenner. So. <laughs> uh, That's well, fantastic. You're going to pay for we, seven medium lasers. Yeah, but there was enough heat sinks on there in which you could get away with a couple of alpha strikes before you had to worry about heat. If you got hit with seven medium lasers, you'd know it. So we did that. We also wrote a story which we called Snake Dance. It was about my unit, my own home unit. And it was, well, there wasn't too much about the clan invasion at the time. So we basically set it up so it was three of these rattlesnakes against a daishi in a Ooh. blind canyon, a, a box canyon. And oh, it was about the battle and so on. And the scenario was basically a story in a scenario form. And basically, you had Daisy at one end, you had three rouse next to the other, and all the Daisy had to do was get out of the canyon. Past the rouse next, now the canyon. Well, Rob and I played it twice, and neither time the Daisy was able to get out of that canyon, out of that box canyon. Both times, it, the three rouse snakes just tore it apart. Not surprising either. Uh, well, you get hit, you know, well, find, find out the best way to use that is have like three of them. A lance, and then maybe the fourth one have RMs to kind of shield it, shield the others, cover the others as they come running in. So, Craig, um, Battle Technology had almost a 10-year run, started in 1987, went to 1995, and you say that your issue was the last one. Yep. what, would you equate battle technology to sort of what shrapnel is today? Yeah, only uh, there at the end of battle technology, it got a bit ragged. Uh, shrapnel doesn't have that problem because it's done in-house. Mm-hmm. Phil Lee is the editor for that. So, would would you say um, that battle technology, if it were in-house, and I guess I'm I'm loosely basing on it that. Uh, at that time, it was FASA, I think. Uh, well, would it, or, or was it kind of all over the place? It, uh, let's see, it was kind of there. I mean, it, you know, it got a little uh, fuzzy there at the end, like I said. Mm-hmm. Most of the stuff could was usable. Okay. So a lot of scenarios, mechs, stories. Yeah. Uh, had a kind of hodgepodge of all that other stuff. Uh, In fact, uh, the uh, Tales of the Crack Canopy is a mm-hmm. descendant of the Cobalt Coil. The Tales of the Cobalt Coil, that's one of the things I loved about Battle Technology was those stories. Sure. And they wanted to capture that again in Shrapnel, which is I why you it. have Tales of the Crack Canopy. And since you brought it up, you've got two entries 
for crack canopy. We had blind, <clears throat> excuse me, blind arrogance, mm -hmm. and you had shadows of the past. Um, yeah. what is the inspiration for those stories? Is it? It was there for what a lot of stories or a lot of things that we hear from folks is is there's a, a particular sentence or maybe even a paragraph that leaves something open someplace. Um, is that or are I guess, uh, where did your inspiration come from for those stories? Well, for uh, blind arrogance, it came from Echo Rangers. Now the scenario that they went to the Dales on Coventry got their asses handed to them by the, by the Falcons. And I thought it would be interesting to see it from someone who's actually in the battle who wasn't crazy. Because by, by that time, the entire Ghost Ranger command staff was lunatic. Hmm. Well, in the and, situation on Coventry when they were there, I mean, having to fight alongside the Dragoons based on their blood oath and perceived slights and everything else. I mean, it, yeah. when I, when I started reading the book and saw that those two were there, I was just waiting for the powder keg to go off. So, um, it, it, I, I really like the story. I love that series, to be honest with you. I don't, is there any other author that has written more than oh, yeah. two or, or, okay. Uh, I think I'm the only one who's written two. Okay. Uh, the second, second one was uh, shouts of past, was kind of fill in some of the background on uh, Leo, who's just kind of the manager of the of the place, because uh, you know you didn't know anything about him, and, you know he's kind of there, so I did that to kind of give him background and kind of introduce a couple of the other characters into <laughs> the. <laughs> It's like you're following right along with our guide of questions that we want to ask, because that rolls right into the next one of, do you writers uh, for characters, say for the Crack Canopy, for prime example, when you have characters that show up in each series, do you writers have a wiki or someplace where you can write ideas down or track certain things on characters that other writers have written? So that there's no. consistency, or is that really on the writers to have read the stories and make their own notes? I think it's more on the writers' uh, end of things. I mean, we do have fact checkers that go through every single story, you know. And uh, Phil Lee is the head honcho, so he kind of knows what's going on with the series too. But it's you know, it's. It's not a huge amount set in stone. Okay. Uh, I, I, I tried to, uh, I did a lot of setup in uh, Blind Arrogance and uh, carried through with the, uh, the second story. But, uh, I'll talk to Phil about that, see if we can you know, maybe do something about that because I did a whole background guideline type of thing, but it turned out to be about three pages long and and it wasn't exactly the most Convenient thing. I think what uh, Bill does, if he finds a story he thinks will fit, he'll, uh, he'll ask you also to maybe add in a beginning and ending, you know, a framing framing piece. Nice. <clears throat> Did you ever have a uh, favorite unit or mech or 
vehicle? Uh, I kind of like the Victor. I did solid uh, assault, Mac. I did a version up in which I placed AC twenty with an AC ten, and uh, a couple other things to it. I can't recall the top of my head. Added armor, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I added some armor. No. <laughs> <clears throat> oh. And one or two other things. I may have added a little more firepower to it. Have you had any favorite factions besides your own, like, homemade unit? Oh, I kind of lean towards the Federated Sons. But uh, I find myself, for some reason, writing everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting that uh, I think you see that a lot in a lot of writers in the Battletech universe don't actually write for their favorite unit. Um, maybe that's on purpose or not, but uh, it's kind of interesting that that kind of falls in that realm of, well, I really like this unit, but I'm never going to write a story for him because I'll, yeah. I'll probably get too fanboyish. I've kind of like to claim Antietam as mine, but technically it's theirs, but I kind of, I've kind of adopted Antim as my own world in the Baltic universe. Okay. I had a, uh, a question. I had a question I wanted to tag on when he was talking about his Victor. Um, you've been around BattleTech a long time. Do you think the reason BattleTech has lasted as long as it is is because of the customization that BattleTech allows with mechs? Yeah, customization and fact that. If you don't have the right mini, you don't have to have the right mini. This is not a what she's what you get game. Uh, yeah, you could you could play with a penny if you really wanted to. Yeah, or you could use <laughs> you a Warhammer, Warhammer mini to represent any one of the dozen Warhammer variants. You know, yeah. you don't you don't have to have the exact mini. That's one thing, and the fact is that Altec game is a game of chess. Firepower, you know, you yeah. you do have to th think what you're going to do next. You know, do you flank? Do you hit them head on? How and often it, do you it, get a chance? To, how often do you get a chance to play? Not too much. No, um, I'm right in a dead area between Sarasota and Fort Myers, and well, where I am, you got a high up San Jacinto citizens, <laughs> and right now, the way things are. Closest store is down in Cape Coral. It's like a forty-mile trip from my house. Forty miles there, forty miles back. Cape Coral isn't that uh, right around where Seneca lives? If I'm not mistaken. It's got to be close. Let me uh, let me pull up his address here a minute. Well, if that's I'm the pretty, case, and you want to get I'm some pretty games sure, in, I'm pretty sure might, that guy lives right there. <laughs> we might find you some. Yeah. And Mike's good that's, people. And that's it's just, the, just south of Tampa, too. Uh, it's about uh, 140 miles south of Tampa. Because where Cape I am, Coral. about 100 miles south of Tampa. Seneca is in Cape Coral, Florida. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, well, there are a few. You would, you would like to meet. Yeah, there are players down there. We had a group uh, that was working on a campaign. Unfortunately, there was disagreements in the entire campaign. Went up in nuclear fire. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. People did agree with each other. Oh no! 
Yeah. Well, I, I will say with the new Kickstarter and, you know, basically I think what we're calling the renaissance of Battletech, we are, we are noticing through the podcast, through what we're doing, uh, there's a lot more people coming to the game from all over the place. And uh, it's just, it's just really awesome to see that a lot more people are, are either picking Battletech back up or they're, you know, asking questions. What's this game all about? And, and uh, little groups are forming in all over the place. So it's, it's an exciting time to be in Battletech right now. Oh, yeah, it is. Especially when you have something like Shrapnel, you know, which gives you a glimpse of the universe without you over the head with it. Yeah, we have our very own Shrapnel co-author on the podcast with us. So, yeah, yeah, um, someday, so someday I'll 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 feel like yeah, that's me. But so far, <laughs> t- uh, two don't stories. Feel bad. I feel like I feel that way sometimes too. Uh, well, then you're on then you're on good foundation, uh, Charles. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you and Craig Reed <laughs> both feel the same. <laughs> Um, did you ever have any favorite characters that uh, someone else wrote about or you wrote about? Well, I kind of like all the characters I've done. And sometimes I find an opportunity to go back and play with them again. And well, let's see. I've done that with uh, Ulysses Steiner, who uh, you know, it, it just seems to be natural to do uh, follow up to that story. He was leading Operation Red Line and Operation Blue Tiger. Those two mm-hmm. stories. Then uh, Vicente Gazeal, who uh, kind of grew on me. Uh, he was in uh, uh, negotiation and evacuation. And for some reason, he uh, kind of grew on me. Now, it's, that's kind of strange to say about a uh, like Menai Domini center but he kind of grew on me <laughs> well you gotta have i mean in in any story even even the villains have to have some sort of connection with you know the the reader i mean yeah. you can't you can't always have a melvina hazen or or this that but even even melvina in some some novels kind of gets personal and and uh, i don't think anybody would i i hope nobody personally identifies with melvina hazen but <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of, of villains that, you know, in order to have good character writing, uh, you have to have some sort of um, relatability with them. So, And then uh, and, uh, Anskar Saraski, who uh, was also kind of grown on me. He's uh, 13 and Lores are silent. You know, it's, he's an odd character because he's speaking to his dead sister. And uh, you, he's either a little crazy, or he's talking to the ghost of his dead sister. One, two, <laughs> or he's literally talking to his dead sister. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have any characters that you absolutely hate, <laughs> written like, by you or written by someone uh, else? Like you sign up to kill them? <laughs> well, besides Malina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the obvious. Yeah, well, let's see. Uh, uh, basically, any of the main Lao characters. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. 
Just do a uh, broad stroke there, yeah. <clears throat> that seems, one. Seems about right. <laughs> I mean, he is a Federated Sons guy, so that's fair. That makes sense. Fair enough. That is true. <laughs> that's expected. Uh, uh, one story I really liked was the clawing. Yeah, that was a. Uh, that one about a again, crashed. That... Uh, what a crashed uh, dropship that had some ghost berries on it, and one got away and survived. Terrorizing little little towns. <laughs> yeah, well, that was part of. Okay, the bears are pulling out of the clan homeworlds. So, how are they going to do the clawing? They're not going to go back. Spend a year going back to the home world, so yep, had to uh, uh, they had to cage up all the bring... mommy and daddy ghost bears and the cubbies, and they had to take them with. Uh, <laughs> they also had to look at uh, what type of relationship were the bears going to have with these worlds. What's going to happen if uh, you know if there's a problem pops up like a Oh, ghost bear going up where there's not any ro- usually any ghost bears. So there's there's no real uh, game for them to chase. So now they start chasing humans, <laughs> humans or local animals. So that uh, that was the genesis of that one. And now ghost bears are more family oriented than the others, and tried to uh, show that compared to some of the other clans, they're not that bad. That's what so, I keep telling these guys, but they, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're talking to a <laughs> ghost bear fanboy here, so. <laughs> but I will agree, the, the, the clan ghost bear is probably the more family-oriented clan of all of them, um, which speaks testaments to their adoption into the inner sphere um combining basically two different forms of of society and making it work while being i mean what still considered one of the top 5 powerhouses in the entire inner sphere right now mm-hmm. yeah when they decide to do something when they decide to do something i mean they are a family and if everybody else has families, you know, it's like, oh, should we do this? Should we do that? Well, you always have that crazy uncle that wants to just go kill everything, but passive aggressive. <laughs> uh, I'm just looking over my uh, stuff. So, uh, so how did you like? Uh, how did you like writing icons of war? Oh, that was a that's a fun story. I was on Facebook and. Uh, John Helfers, who do, who oversees all the fiction, uh, and me and said, "How would you like a writing assignment?" I said, "Sure." And <laughs> he some homework. And he says, "How long? How much? How long do you think he? How how much words do you need?" And like an idiot, I said, twenty thousand. <laughs> that sounds just fine. Yeah, but then when. <laughs> I sat down and looked at what they wanted to do. I realized it wasn't going to work. Because apparently the original intention was that Vlad was going to send a ship back to clan space, steal the body, and come back. 
I said, that doesn't make sense. So as Blaine, as Blaine explains it, uh, this all came about because someone forgot about uh, Garner Kerensky. Uh, Garner Kerensky. And yeah, Blaine Jim, mysteriously disappeared or left. And uh, Blaine came up with the idea that he was off getting the McKenna Pride. So I had to figure out how to get McKenna Pride out of space. And I ran, the first problem I ran into was that I couldn't steal the McKenna Pride until about uh, 3076 because the clans were busy using it. <laughs> they, had to wait till, they had to wait until they went to get it washed. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to get it detailed. Oh, we can slip in now. <clears throat> Took it to get it washed. So, the the original idea was they were going in, they going to steal the body and flee on a dropship and get out of town before anyone knew they were there. But then, Which is a, of lot course, of, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And then things got worse when I had to get the McKenna Pride involved. So, so I went with, okay, this was part of the same plan to steal the Frenzy legacies. To ah. Remove them. So the idea was these guys were going to hang back. They are going to supply information to the incoming wolves. Let them know who was here and where they were and everything else. And to basically keep an eye on the Kerensky chapel. So, uh, the uh, other clans wouldn't make a grab for it. And uh, and when they showed up to grab uh, Nicholas and Andre Kerensky's blood legacy, along with Jeff and Winston's, we were supposed to go up, get the body, hop on jump ship, a drop ship, and head out to the waiting jump ship. Of course, that plan went out the window quickly because... Uh, they didn't count for the fighting that would break out amongst the uh, blood chapels. It spilled out into the city. So he basically had to just, sit there sit there and try to figure out, okay, what's plan B? They just couldn't keep it together. Nope. <laughs> so, so it turned out to be about 48,000 words at the end. And it was just, oh, just a few more. Yeah. And basically, I had this block between the uh, end of the operation to take Corensing Legacies and the stealing of the ship, which is like four years now. What are they going to do four years? So that's when I started exploring clan culture and the free guilds and the dark case and everything else. Uh, yeah. Personally, I love that. I I know that there was, you know, I had read some things on Facebook about how people were upset, disappointed, that's not right about the bandit case. And I thought it was spectacular. I mean, yeah. like, I think, I think we had a conversation while we were testing audio out and that kind of thing. And we kind of got on this subject about, we don't ever really hear about clan culture outside of the warrior case we exactly. get a little bit with the, we get a little scientist and and 
but just a day in the life is kind of hard or yeah, we don't well, have a frame of reference. But when you put, think about it, these guys have been genetically created. A lot of them have, but still human. And if you're not a warrior, you're nothing. So, and I'm, and I'm curious, Don, now that you say that, I mean, have, has there any been, ever been any conversation around just how much of the population, how much clan population is freeborn and how much is trueborn when, you know, their society is geared towards building warriors and they have high dropout rates, but you also lose some during, you know, some die during the trials, that kind of thing. Yeah, and what then you have the, what is the population makeup, right? How many freeborns to trueborns in the civilian areas? Well, you have to remember a lot of the freeborns also descend from trueborns, so yeah, you know, that that begins to get into uh, you know that gets into the uh, the thing, and then free guilds, which are basically I think a line or two in one of the source books, just pick up and ran with that on you know. I figure that these free guilds, some of them are straight up honest, and other them are just basically fronts, organized gangs. Now, compared to Inspire gangs, these, you know, these uh, dark case uh, guys in the clan worlds are, you know, not doing a lot of the serious stuff like drugs or uh, or uh, weapons. They're doing a little bit of it, but it's not like. Uh, their main line of yeah it's now wide and rampant <clears throat> because they know if they really get far out of line warrior cast is going to come down on them yeah they're towing the line and keeping it under wraps yeah that's, that's so, staying under the radar for the most part because they, they have they smuggle. police units as well yeah that gets into the uh, the uh, ebony kishek and the white kishek that was fun to write too because, again, there wasn't that much going on. You didn't know. And so, who came up with the twist though for that last battle and how the uh, warrior got to take the general's place to have the far or have the lie stay remain? Was yeah. that just a, a? I had a great idea while I was falling asleep one night, or. Yeah, was that because, part of a writer's summit? Or you uh, had a that, couple that of just, things in that story where I was just like, "Wow, where'd that come from?" <clears throat> well, it made sense because if you don't have a body, you know, you, you don't, you know, it would yeah. be the best way I can describe Icons of War is is if Nazis just snuck into Moscow in World War II, swiped Lynn's body, and headed for the coast, and got on the battleship Temkin. That's, that's basically what it was. So I figured that you know the clans would have come looking for the body. You know that it would have been too much of a disruption because yeah. Kerensky had always been venerated. Yep. And they'd already lost the the two sons' king legacy, and I figured that uh, either the clans are going to come looking for the body, or they're going to have to come up with a reason why not to come looking for the body. 
Now, as a question, Alexander Kerensky's genetic material has never existed, right? The only Kerensky genetic material was Nicholas and Andre. Is that a correct statement? That is correct. Uh, they didn't uh, never used Andre Kerensky's uh, DNA for anything. I mean, he was a great father, and they had two sons. So part of the reason why Vlad wanted the body was to make sure that uh, it never it they, they got the I they didn't do that. So so they, I will. So the original plan, right? The original plan was just to grab the body. Yep, grab the body. You know, but, all the body under a dropship. Yeah, but you needed the story to be able to get the ship, right? Yeah. I thought it was brilliant that it was the the tomb doesn't fit through the door, so we got to take the whole ship. <laughs> that was spectacular. That was just like that's that's yes. awesome. Uh, got bad news here, boss. We can't get this. We can't get this uh, the tomb out of here. So it doesn't fit through the door. So let's take the whole ship. Plan C: <laughs> the square peg doesn't fit through the round hole. Oh, yeah, so okay, we're stealing the ship. I still, so. a, I, st I still get a good chuckle at that. Whenever I start thinking about it, I was like, "Yeah, we're just gonna take the whole ship then." <clears throat> Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah it's that, just a little fiddly, fiddly ship. Oh, that space battle was. Ugh. Uh, I have to uh, thank Cray Miller, Mark uh, Cray Miller, who is the uh, basically a science guy for the uh, for us authors, and nice. he helped design the pursuit. So, I kind of I can see where space battles are a little harder than uh, mech battles. Because it's fairly they're not too common in Valtech fiction. I mean, you get a big concentration in uh, uh, the uh, uh, what the heck's the name of it? The one Blaine well, did. Had, yeah, you had the, the battle of you had you had the battle in uh, Smoke Jaguars going to Huntress. Mm -hmm. We had a battle on Terra. For when Victor, the Comstar, or Star League went after Word of Blake, mm -hmm. um, and then we had the Terra, uh, Arrow of the Wolf. I don't so, think I, I can't new recall Avalon. any other. What's that again? Oh, New Avalon. New That's Avalon. right. Yep, there was yeah. that one too. Yeah, I'm a little partial to that one. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I had to keep I had to keep uh, uh, the chase from becoming too stale, which is why it seemed half the uh, surviving warships ended up chasing the uh, Akena's pride. And you know we we looked at things and uh, running jump was something I'd come up with. And I realized that only warship can do it because regular jump ships don't have the uh, don't have the maneuver thrusters that a warship does. I mean, yeah. warship can jump in and then travel down to over 
the planet what jump ships can't. So, so I came up with this running jump, which is basically is what you jump when you're still under full steam. And that, that was fun to write. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that, that, that chase was interesting to write because you had to keep up the tension without uh, I couldn't make it too easy for him to escape yeah you right. don't want it too easy and uh, you, don't, you don't want the fanboy screaming plot armor right yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's uh it was also where uh, Kynes, uh, Rekwari Kynes sort of popped up from. He, uh, he was kind of unique for a clan warrior in which he was a very good data analyst. He'd been signed to the uh, Ebonon Kishak. And uh, he was fun to write because he was a clan warrior, yet he was so different from other clan warriors in that he was very data driven which is yeah I needed someone that I couldn't make it too easy for the heroes so I needed someone who could okay I think it's this person that we should be going after or he was if I if I don't if I recall correctly he was kind of a Sheldon Cooper in that he was stupid smart and was able to tie the see the see the needle through the forest but and he also did not have the best social graces about him either like i think he got in close trouble with uh you know command type folks is that am i remembering that right uh sort of yeah he he's brilliant and i mean he is a clan warrior now as he mentions that uh, he knew he wasn't the biggest or strongest so he had to fight had to fight smarter. So he knew he would analyze his opponents and look for their weaknesses and then act upon them. Uh, I would I would suspect that uh, I've written about this, but I would suspect after the thing, after a few years he would have been sponsored for his blood name by uh Banachek, the uh, former Ilkhan. Banachek and become a become his right hand in data analysis, which would have been fun to play out. Wow! Well, um, to, to kind of shift gears a, a little, um, okay. because your uh, shrapnel uh, serial uh, vengeance games, vengeance games. Ooh, easy for me to say. It's kind of it coming up on its conclusion. Like, what what's it been like watching your story come out? Because that's like going to be over the course of basically a year, right? Of, yeah. Uh, four different shrapnels. So, like, uh, what what's that been like? Does, does that lead to second guessing? Like, as it comes out, going, ah, you know what? I could have done this different or that different. But yeah, uh, and just games was written before uh, End of the Road. Whereas the first time you actually see Gideon Wozniak. And I, originally for Vengeance Games, I wanted a man who had seen so much war that the only thing that was driving him at that time was to track down this man who had betrayed and killed his fellow soldiers. 
and he had tracked them all the way to Solaris. And uh, found myself taking bits of that Bow Technology story we're talking about, Snake Dance, and kind of incorporating them into the into this story. Uh, for example, Indian is the son of Gordon Wozniak, who was the main character in Snake Dance. And Tony Mazra, who uh, speaks to Indian in bar, which has to be named Crack Canopy, uh, is, was one of his landsmates and friends. And of course, you have the rattlesnake, uh, a version of it. And the guy who created it was my friend, Rob Manson. I tuckerized him. I just wish he was here to see it. But uh, he died a few years ago, and uh, he had fi- he had drifted away from Baltech, and I had been spending my time long range trying to pull him back into it. But he had gotten back into uh, model railroading. Mm. And well, you can I- interlace those. Well, I did. Yeah, <laughs> interlaced them, and uh, it became a story of. Vengeance and putting to, to rest the ghosts that had been haunting him for so long. Because in Into the Road, I, I made him. You don't know too much about Stone's Lament. You just know that these guys had been with Stone since the beginning. And I, and like I said, I need that character to be a guy with a reputation. So I made him Stone's Hammer. He was the man who commanded the battalion when Stone wants something taken, wants something destroyed, want to hold a position, would be the 3rd Battalion of Stone's Lament. Stone's Hammers. Sort of like a Zeta Battalion sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Point at it, go, get, go do this, and that's what they do. Yeah, and I... It, he'd... I made him one of what I call Stone's Immortals. These were the guys that had been with Stone from the start. And in the lament, the longer you'd been with Stone, the more, well, I won't say authority, because that would imply they actually could command, but the more... uh, Respect? Yeah, more respect you had. And... Gideon Wozniak had been with Stone. He'd been one of the guys that had been in the prisons, the prison camps with him. So. Oh, so he's been with him since the beginning. The beginning. Yeah. 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 And uh, he hmm. he's one of those guys that need for a fighting force, but they don't do so well outside of the battle outside of uh, warfare they make lousy civilians sure that's so, like most veterans <laughs> so he he happens to come home. across and then I threw in uh, Reardon Mallory who is a historian I wrote uh, a couple of uh, news items for the old uh, Balcor uh section. They had section for different news. And he was a historian who, like most Mallory's, 
Mallor- Mallory's are the Rowan family of Antietam, in my mind at least. And they produced either soldiers or scholars, and sometimes both, the same person. And Reardon Mallory is, was the type of guy who didn't sugarcoat things. And he got into trouble because he blessed both the Hessex and the uh, Sandovals for their incompetence in the opening, uh, uh, opening years of the Jihad. Which uh, the family side probably would be a good idea for him to take a long sabbatical outside of the Federate Sons, which is why he ended up on uh, Solaris. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a, it was kind of nice, kind of a nice thing you could do for for a old friend. Put him in the whether yeah. he didn't get back into BattleTech or not. He's in BattleTech now, so yeah, that's that's one of those things that uh, I know. Most, I think, all of us here have been written into BattleTech uh, in one way or other. Um, yeah, it was nice that they did the the Kickstarter. You know, you can get your name in a book and stuff like that. Um, do yeah, you do I, any of that? Yeah, I did that with uh, Elements of Treason. There are a few oh, in okay. there. Uh, but uh, I don't know why I did with my list. It, down the actual, uh, you know, who was that? But I did heavily raid the list for uh, signer names. Awesome that I could that I could use. <clears throat> uh, I know a lot of people are mad that they don't like they didn't get exactly what their bio was. But I mean, I think our I tried case- very hard to uh, get them as close as I could. Uh, well, that's good. I mean, I think one or two more intelligent operatives, I made them uh, uh, special forces type of thing. There you go. So I tried uh, to keep keep it as close, close as I could. Yeah, that's it's just a nice thing, and I, I'm sure it helped the Kickstarter and out. In, in, I mean, some people just need to be patient. Um, yeah. I, I know a lot of, I know a lot of, we've talked to a lot of the authors. Um, they're getting around to it. There's just a lot of names. <laughs> yeah, Blaine, Blaine's uh, probably king of that. <laughs> he's, he's just like highlight, copy, paste, <laughs> giant yeah. swaths of it. And um, but that's that's kind of cool that you're you actually uh, are trying to get them as close to their bios as possible. Um, I know for the story, it's probably hard to put them in the certain uh, you know factions and stuff like that, but. I would think if, as long as you got their, you know, what their character was going for, um, that's that's the the main gist of it. And they they get written into BattleTech uh, canon, so yeah, I think that's a plus for everybody. Do you have a do you have a process for starting a, a short story or a, a novel besides you know your theme given by Helfers or what? What's your what's your process for starting a book? Uh, well, for icons, I just basically had a premise, and then I I research, which is where I found out that I couldn't uh, 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 do some uh, couldn't steal the mechanics pride until seventy six. Uh, that kind of gives you a timeline moment yeah. that you can annotate. Yeah. So. 
and then I write it, and I try to get as close to the word limit as I can, and then I send it in, and it bounces around, and sent back to me to make corrections, I make corrections, send it back, uh, fact checkers get a hold of it, or as they've been referred to once or twice as continu- continuity hooligans. <laughs> That's a good one. And like they send back saying, "This is you have to change this, you have to change that. And uh, finally I get into a shape that they like and I go through it and uh, you know, edit and get ready to be published. Nice. I was just seeing in uh, the guidebook to clans that for like the question of, you know, what is the extent of the dark cast it verbatim said, like no one has any idea what the numbers look like. Yeah. But, well, I think, you know, I think you got the dark cans of the guys, the pirates who are hiding out, you know, in uh, communities and get wiped out every so often by uh, a clan force. And then you have the uh, less visible dark case. You know? Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, when, a, when a warrior fails their trial, they basically have like a twenty-five percent chance of, you know, failing. So, or the twenty-five percent of the whole basically fail their first trial of position, and then either go to a different cast or, you know, become bandit. <laughs> it's uh, well, in the case of Stas from Icons of War. The uh, Jaggers never bothered to do anything with him. Then when the Jaguars got wiped out, he kind of was at loose ends until he ended up joining a uh, a uh, guild, free guild. Because at that point, he didn't belong to anyone. Right yeah. on. Craig, um, I know you've done a lot of shrapnel. Do you enjoy shrapnel more than maybe writing a book, or are they two different kind of a things that you don't really uh, see as I like doing this better than this? Or I enjoy your, both. You enjoy both, okay? Yeah. What well, sure. What would you say your favorite? I mean, if you had to pick one, which one would you rather do—the short stories in shrapnel or a book? My brothers, you know, given choice, I take the book. I love. Okay. I like doing short stories too. Well, we can tell because I think you're in just about every shrapnel. <laughs> uh, just about. I, I don't think I was in two, but there is kind of a thing they don't want to have the same people in there over uh, issue after issue after issue. So basically, just story in one, you can't have story in this next one. Yeah, yeah, which uh, is good because it again it it offers. New blood to come in. I mean, I, that, I hate touting Charles's name, but uh, you know, early on when Shrapnel was just getting started, we were interviewing um, some of the guys in the higher ups, and and they said, you know, one of the thing was is how do we get new writers in? And they said submit and just submit, 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 submit. And yeah, Shrapnel is good for that. Shrapnel, you know, it shows that a you can write. Mm-hmm. You can write in the Baltech universe. And I think that's where a lot of people fail. Because it is such a detailed universe. 
like you cannot slap a few things on it and undeclare it. You know, this is a Baltech story. Yeah. You you can't just take a generic, you know, love story and be like, well, it's in Battletech. And you're like, yeah, you need to know the Battletech universe in order to write Battletech universe. You can't. Yes, just you do. A, Definitely. You can't just start a net a couple of stuff and be like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> well, think of that. Yeah, there's this. no faking it. If you're writing a story about <clears throat> about drones combine, you have to, for example, know how the uh, ECMS is organized, yeah. rank system, you know, and uh, you well, know, even attitude. in the D- even in the DCMS, I mean, certain ranks have certain societal uh, parts that are very heavily influenced in that regiment or in, in the higher ups or even in the lower regiments, there's, you know, you got the Yakuza and you've got, uh, you know, uh, the, the combines own, you know, kind of sect that they have going on. You got to know all that in order to write for the Draconis yeah. combine. Uh, HK Mono, which was my first combine story. And you remember, I had just, it just had sold uh, my first story, which was Lance Killer, Balcor. And that was enough to get me on the list. They were listing stories for the 35th anniversary book. And, you know, they had a bunch of pictures. And the idea was you write a story based on that picture. And I looked at the one that was on the first edition of the Tech Manual book, which was the Battlemaster, a Battlemaster that was being repaired. And then started writing. I took this pilot who needed a mech. Was that the, wall, was that the wallpaper that was all blue with the Battlemaster kind of looking yes. Yes. up? Yes, that was originally written, and it was accepted because, you know, I understood why. I had one story, and the people that were being, having stories accepted were all old guard. And, uh, well, since it was rejected by them, I sent it in, and it got uh, published by uh, Malcor. But that was a story about an outcast, a whole bunch of outcasts. Ending together to bring this master back to life. I also got. Would uh, you? Would you consider yourself the old guard these days? <laughs> uh, it's getting to that point. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've had a couple of authors pass on uh, recently. Uh, trying to think, uh, Milan. Uh, Has. Yep. Craig, has anyone written Battletech longer than you have? Or or who would you say are the, you know, in, in your echelon of writing Battletech for as long as you have? Well, I've only been writing for it since 2011. And that would... Uh... Well, you've got issues in battle technology. Yeah. Can, can this be a battle technology has been up in the air? That's why you. That's why you've seen uh, 
the mechs that appeared in there have kind of been slid into uh, regular things like the Osprey. And uh, let's see, I think uh, a couple others, a couple of mechs that have been slid and slid from Battle Technology into back Battle in the Tech. Yeah, back in the cannon. They did that quietly. Well, so, I mean, you've been in Battletech for a long time. Um, it's, Eleven years it's... now. How many years? Eleven. Eleven? Yeah, since the first story I sold Balcor. No, how Atlanta. long have you been playing Battletech? Oh, mid mid eighties. Okay, so pretty much when it came out then. Yeah, I picked up the second edition. I picked up. Uh, there was something new about technology came out, and I grabbed it. Some some of my uh, books are so been used so often that the spines are breaking. I've had to put them into <laughs> uh, put them into binders. Yeah, I, I think we've all got our you know third fourth editions that we had to buy because our other ones are getting too bad. Yeah, I just house, I just bought I just found a, I found a second copy of the original thirty fifty tech readout just for that <laughs> fact. Yeah, my original my original house source books they they stay on the shelf. I don't really take them down and open them because I'm scared how many pages will fall out of it. Exactly. Most I've I've got just about every single uh, source book that's ever come out, and some I've got some duplicates and got a whole bunch of them on PDF. And... Well, I've got. I've got one last question for Craig, but I, I wanted to have it to be kind of the last question because it's kind of a, you know, generational one. Does anybody else have any other questions that that uh, are going or want answered? Silence. Now I'm just definitely. curious what I'm just curious what your question is now after a setup <laughs> like that, Coach. <laughs> well, <laughs> what I wanted to ask Craig, and what I try to ask everybody that has been playing the game since you know basically its inception is what is your take on the ebbs and flows that Battletech has gone through? I mean, from the initial, uh, what, 1984 release to, you know, maybe it's heyday with Iron Wind or uh, uh, FASA and the, you know, the first initial huge influx of novels, source books, all that other stuff. And then, you know, Throughout the, you know, we went through quote unquote the dark ages, literally, and then to today, where I think we are seeing a, a rebirth of BattleTech. I just wanted to get your take on, uh, as someone who's you know been through all those stages, what what is your overall um, just kind of outlook on on how BattleTech started for you and throughout the years? Um, have you been playing the whole time? Did you get into the clicks and the dark ages and all that other stuff? Just wanted to know uh, what your take on Battletech was. Battletech is a survivor. You do not you do not survive nearly forty years without being having something to bring in people. Keep people with them, to keep people uh involved. And it was it was time in the late nineties where I kind of drifted away from Baltech, and I felt that the first 
15, 16 bucks of Dark Age. Most of them were not very good. It wasn't until about Scorpion Jar when they started picking up again, when they started using, actually using people who knew Battletech. Because you look at the first 15 volumes, two main were written by known Battletech writers. I mean, Michael Stackpole wrote the first one, but most of the others... And I won't mention the name of the novel, but there was one that really irritated me because it seemed that everybody in the book was psychotic. <laughs> uh, now, there, there didn't seem to be anyone sane in the book. And you probably know which one I'm talking about. Uh, there was there was nobody grounded in reality, is basically what you're saying. Yeah, well, the lead character had all the charisma of a dead body. They introduced her, uh, it was her, her lover, who lasted all about a chapter or two, and she's killed off. And all the all the male characters were, uh. Cliff shared a uh, wing with the Joker from Batman. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it not appealed me. Of course, there were some others that apparently I was told this that Rock wanted real writers for the Dark Age novels. Yeah, you're you're not the first person to say that. Um, I think Blaine has said something kind of to the same effect that um, the powers that be or the leaders or the directors felt that they could just go find writers and yeah. have them start yeah. going. And I, it was a good experiment, but I think it showed that um, the Battletech universe is a, a unique and living, breathing organism that you can't yeah. just jump into the pool and start splashing around. Yeah, you really have to know it. That That is the one thing that I think a lot of readers don't understand. To write Battletech, you have to know Battletech. You have to know piddling things like the rank system for this military and that military. And you know, when does a certain mech come into existence? Uh, which variant, what time? Uh, what a what a heat sink is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what does a PPC blast look like? Yeah, you know, that's kind of need to know, know information. Or a laser, or what does a Goss rifle round do? So, I mean, I've got... Yeah, those show- are a lot of... Uh, <clears throat> that's a lot of bread and butter of day one stuff for anybody who needs to explain or illustrate through word a Battletech universe. As a conscious of the clicky tech, I've got like two shelves worth of uh, clicky deck mechs and a box full of uh, of the vehicles and inventory. I've only played it once or twice and it didn't feel satisfying. It wasn't quite the same. No, it wasn't. I mean, I understood what they were going for, but again, 
it felt like they were making they they got people that made games that never played BattleTech to make a BattleTech game. Well, the thing was, Whiskers was actually they had experienced BattleTech people involved, which is where you've got the uh, another thing about Dark Age, which I think hurt it, is the time jump. You had the end of the Civil War, and all of a sudden, you're talking uh, fifty years in the future. Yeah, and they kind of glossed over those fifty years in there, so that yep. didn't help. Especially if you were a hardcore fanatic, you want to know what the hell happened. Well, yeah, and that's what BattleTech fans do. I mean, we we pay attention to what happens year by year, and if yeah. you jump fifty, okay, that's a long that's a long time. Yeah. So once Catalyst Games got the license they realized that there was a lot of stuff they had to backfill so you had the jihad books you had the uh, first and six second successive war books you had the uh uh unification wars you had the Ameri civil war there's a whole bunch of stuff they had to fill in and they uh spent a lot of time doing that. I mean, I forgot when Catalyst actually got the uh, IP rights. Uh, 2005, maybe? Sounds about right. So they had to spend basically 15 years doing a lot of backfilling to get us up to Dark Age. The end of the Dark Age. And, and now that we're finally getting into new stuff, you know, after 15 years of basically backfilling in all the old stuff. Yeah, it kind of feels like, okay, we're ready for new stuff now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're, as fans, super excited for what's coming. Um, we're just glad that... And it, it probably had to kill them just to be like, oh, okay, we have this license. Now we have to go back, make everybody happy before we can really do what we want to do. And and now is that time where um, the suspense is is there. I, I feel a natural suspense for the books now coming out. And I, I think you see that with the numbers of people buying books and reading fiction and, and getting yeah. the source material. Um, I think that's really jumped quite a bit because everybody knows that uh, new stuff is... I think Hour of the Wolf was a, a big kickstart. I mean, obviously, the Invasion of Terror, that, that was huge. Um, oh, that that was the start. The, yeah, the novels before that was all laying down foundation mm-hmm. for that for that book, and it was you know it was what half a dozen novels at least. They had yeah. to fill in just to bring us up to Hour of the Wolf. So, uh, side note: Do you count Hour of the Wolf as a Dark Age book or an Ill Clan book? Uh, Dark Age. Ah, I see, do. okay. That's it's like the bookend of Dark Ages. That's it's what the that bookend book of is. Dark Age because after that, it's all uh, Star. Oh, it's, all, it's all Ill Clan after that. Uh-huh. Well, I know I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah. So, uh, getting into uh, you know, and right now, what they're doing is. They're basically 
uh, getting to the point now where they're filling in everything that's happening around terror. You had Tamar Rising. There's another source book on the Wolf Empire just coming out. And I'll probably yeah. have one or two more books that cover the uh, fronts like uh, Davian uh, Combine, Davian Carita. And yeah, there's uh, Dominion Dominion Divided, I think, is taking care of the yes. that Ghost Bears, Draconis Combine. Yes. Like yes. Whole, it, yes. it, it kind of feels like they're doing the quarters of the Inner Sphere map all in books, which is a fantastic idea. I love it. Um I, I Tamar Rising was great. Yeah. See, I, I will take Dominion Divided right away. <laughs> For the Kurita stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and sure. I would sure. I would expect there'll be support and fiction for each of those books <laughs> that they're doing with yes. Tumar Rising. Yes. I haven't been told because oh. I'm concentrating on uh on uh on the Tamar Rising books. Are you are you uh writing in that uh yeah, the latest fiction book side of that? The, the yeah. latest oh, book yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Elements of Treason wow. Duty is about the formation of the Tamar Pact. Yeah. And Thanks for paying attention, Ah, mind blank right there. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And that, that was fun because I only had a couple characters that uh, I had a couple of named characters from the uh, source book. I had a few names from uh, Field Mail 3145. And that was it. I also had the name of the uh, royal family of uh, Arcturus. Otherwise, every, everything is fresh and new. Uh, where, uh, where do you come up with your ideas for, uh, I mean, one of the things that I appreciated in the book, again, was the political intrigue and um, how that played a part to the story and move the story forward. Where do you get inspiration for coming up with how you're going to put pressure on the system? I I ask myself a question, what if? A lot of my stories come out of what if. That case is I knew what the source book said, the formation of Tamar Pack, but it couldn't be that easy. So I introduced, uh, you know, a few problems, uh, like uh, Captain Ferru, who uh, was a... He was a piece of work. He was a piece of work. Yeah, well, Falcons don't seem to uh, monitor their mental health of their warriors too well. <laughs> That's putting it politely. Nobody's getting a check mark from the doc, huh? Eh? Well, they probably shoot the psychiatrists. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they seem to have a problem with psychotic uh psychotic leaders. So and then well a while back uh I had a Zoom conference call with John and Phil, and we discussed the story. 
and John wanted a little more uh, political intrigue. So I couldn't really do it anywhere else except on Arcturus, and that's where the uh, Capnel family came from. Uh, their They've been working on overthrowing the government quietly for years, and then Sarah Regis comes out of nowhere and has up their plans, so they have to uh, they have to refocus. So I assume somewhere down the road <coughs> we'll we'll see them a little bit more. It's just setting up plot lines, I guess. Uh, okay. It's almost a of treason duty was one of those stories that got probably written twice as much uh, to uh, twice as much story, but it only gave me 45,000 words, so I truncate some things. Well, you keep the notes for that to add to another source book or to mm-hmm. plug in for another another book, or is it that things have moved too far then where you where that idea is lost? Uh, I've been fiddling around with an idea to maybe do a story shrapnel that covers some of the time that uh, Armin Kerensky spent uh, in the clan homeworlds. You know, there's, a, there's a huge block of time in Icons of War that isn't really covered. It's kind of glossed over. Due to uh, word uh, length, so so okay. I'm not afraid to go back and revisit you know, a short story. But it has to I be guess, the right. You know, with Shra- yeah, with shrapnel, it gives you a vehicle to to do that. When you do get cut short, you do have a way to go back and fill in if you feel like it. Yeah. That could be a, uh, you know, a recap or a triggered be, memory of some character. Yeah, it could be detailing. I mean, I'm not afraid to revisit old, old characters I've done. I mean, I do have a couple of stories that are particularly involve characters already written about. Uh, for, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> Well, how about we just uh, head on to break then with uh, sure. Aries Games and Miniatures. This History Brief with Charles Gideon brought to you by Aries Games and Miniatures. On this episode of Wolfnet History Briefs, Comstar's Guide on How to Win Friends and Influence People. Hello Wolfnet and welcome to this installment of Wolfnet History Briefs where we look at what happened this month in the Battletech timeline. I'm Gideon. Here we go. Today we travel to Terra to examine the mysterious history of Comstar and what is possibly their most clandestine operation. To set the scene, Primus Raymond Karpov had just completed Operation Holy Shroud. You may be familiar with the infamous campaign conducted by Rom, the Comstar intelligence arm, but in short, it was a coordinated effort to eradicate any threat to Comstar's technological supremacy. Illuminating academics, researchers, and engineers was not enough for Primus Karpov, though, as the Second Succession War burned itself out. 
He was fearful that the great houses would use the reprieve from war to conduct research on a scale that Rom would not be able to snuff out, or worse, discover old Star League weapons and information caches. And fueled by these worries, Karpov incited the Third Succession War. Only a few short years later he would abdicate the title of Primus in favor of Andrea Martin, the presenter from Arcturus, who became the third person to hold the title. Now, with the inner sphere safely at war with itself, she could turn her attention to the simmering issue of the Terran population, a problem that could boil over into full-blown crisis at any moment. It had been nearly a century since Comstar became the rulers of Terra, and though their neutrality had protected the populace from the horrors of the first two succession wars, animosity towards the Order was at an all-time high. The people of Terra had forgotten about the efforts Comstar had made to rebuild the planet following the final battle of the Ameri-Civil War. Their memory instead turned to how, only a few years earlier, Comstar had been duped by a crafty noble on Keed. They accidentally created a food shortage on Terra so Keed could sell Terra's food products for a tidy profit. Also, the people of Terra had spent many centuries being the hub of government for the most powerful interstellar nation of the entire inner sphere. Now they were being asked to essentially hide away on the birthplace of humanity and place their faith in a semi-religious order who may starve its own people due to being naive. All these factors combined into the formation of several factions on Terra, focused on pushing off the yoke of the Comstar rulers and inciting the population to resist. Comstar, in response, would capture these dissidents and send them to re-education camps. This only provided further evidence for the rebels' claims and gave them targets for their escalating attacks. Primus Martin tried to placate the masses with huge construction programs on Venus and Mars but her popularity, and that of Comstar, continued to fall. So what to do when you're the head of one of the largest interstellar companies that is at risk of losing its prophesized home? Well, the same thing that company heads have been doing for millennia. You send a memo, but you must be a special kind of detached or depraved to send this sort of inner office message. Which finally brings us to March 3rd, 2877, when Primus Martin gave presenter of Rom, Jolene Weber, the green light for a clandestine operation. In short order, everything was put in place and Gerald Commandi, presenter of New Earth, was on his way towards the Channel en route to the British Isles. The problem was, he was held up in traffic and was going to be late. But fortunately for him, he hadn't made it to the tunnel when the explosives inside detonated, instantly crushing hundreds of civilians. The less fortunate survived the initial blast, only to suffocate, or slowly succumb to wounds as Comstar rushed to pull them from the wreckage. Black December, one of the leading anti-Comstar groups took responsibility for the attack, citing the New Earth Precentor as a despicable person and valid target. Weeks of news feeds showing the bodies of children being pulled from the carnage was enough to turn public opinion against the rebels. When Rom forces hunted Black December, eventually killing all the members of the group, the population at large praised them as heroes. And from all this horror, 
rose several popular cultural leaders who became a panacea to the anger, distrust, and angst of the Terrans. A first step towards hundreds of years of peace under Comstar rule. But, as you have already surmised, Black December didn't plant those bombs. They didn't even claim responsibility. The peace-spouting icons who popped up were false prophets. It was all Comstar's ROM in one of the greatest false flag events to date. And this all only came to light because of a Steiner airing dirty laundry. But that's a different story. This is Gideon signing off, and remember, those who failed to learn from history are doomed. Hey, that was uh, Charles Gideon, our monthly history brief, brought to you by Aries Games and Miniatures. Welcome back to the show again. We're talking with Craig Reed, and we're going to go right back into it. So were there any questions left over? I don't think so. I think I just wanted to thank Craig for putting up with us and all of our pesky questions. (laughs) Yes, thank you for joining us. And moving on to news and community. It's been a fun time. Excellent. Yeah, news and community. Uh, Aaron. um, So I had um, the Battletech Painting and Customs Facebook page owner, Nathan Prescott. Uh, the Battletech Painting and Customs Facebook page owner, Nathan Prescott, reached out to me, um, wanting to know if we could do some cross-promotional stuff. I said, of course, 100%. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with them. I don't know exactly what that's going to entail. Hopefully, maybe some, uh, cool prizes for maybe some tournaments and uh, a couple of interviews and other things like that. Uh, just looking forward to working with them on a on a cross cross platformable um cross jeez your cross dude. platform yeah wow i'm just going to leave this in there cuz this is great radio you're stealing your own thunder tonight <laughs> making up words is hard we're going to be working across both platforms to push out the message of wolfnet radio and battletech painting and custom there we go. And <laughs> for anybody who's on Facebook, um, definitely go join that that group. That is a great group. Lots of uh, stuff to drool over. Um, and uh, re- lately, um, kind of a out of place a shout out, but uh, uh, what's his name? Jason um, Newman? Newman. Yeah. He's been he's been posting some really good like painting inspirational stuff like the not not like do this and paint good but much more <laughs> along the lines of uh like what you what what you have to put into it the the mindset to get into be, because he does like phenomenal stuff if uh you remember way back when we had Brushito on and then we uh, and then uh, I got talking to him about contrast. Jason is the one who did a uh, like a red chrome warhammer just to prove that you can put tons of cr- put tons of contrast into a Battletech mini to make it look cool. Um, and he's been posting just a lot of really really cool like thoughtful stuff and thought provoking stuff over there. So yeah, all of that to say, 
coming back around. Uh, <laughs> the the painting and customs Facebook group is a really cool place to just be able to uh, geek out and enjoy the enjoy the hard work and stuff that everybody's been doing with their minis. Yeah, that Archer is ridiculous. But um, yeah, it's it's a nice place to go. I think I can paint like that. And then there are a lot of people on there that will help you learn how to paint like that. So go join Battletech Painting and Customs Facebook page. Maybe something cool down the road uh, in cohorts with Wolfnet could happen. I don't know. We'll see. But we've developed a good uh, friendship. So I, I just had, I wanted to plug them out there if you're not a part of that. Um, obviously they have way more people than we do, but Hey, more the merrier, right? Um, also, uh, the classic battle tech, uh, mega mech. Okay. So the, no, almost got into the European classics. This was, uh, brought up. I can't remember where I saw this. It wasn't on our page, but I think it was on classic battle tech. Somebody posted uh, about maybe doing a world championships and how the European championships shouldn't uh, be the end-all be-all of great Battletech players and uh, had mentioned something about doing a world championships over Mega Mech. And I thought that was a fantastic idea. So uh, that would be really cool. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I know we as a podcast would be all over doing something like that. Um, to incorporate everyone from around the world to log on to Mega Mech and battle it out for a world championship. I think that'd be really neat. So, yeah, one time I played Mega Mech, I had a Perseus, and I remember that it took like 65 points damage in the head in the one round. Wow. Yeah, it was it was really ridiculous. I mean, it was when like the RNG, the, when the RNG was broken. <laughs> oh, it's been a while, so yeah. Could be that. It hasn't been so terrible lately. It's still got some quirks, but it's getting better. Anyway, I uh, thought that would be kind of a really cool thing for maybe the entire community to get behind and maybe actually do a world championships. Uh, Mega Mech is a very easy program to download if you don't know what mega mech is it's basically a computer software program that lets you play battletech uh classic with anyone yeah classic battletech with anyone uh, across the world uh, it's a great great tool for getting in games uh campaigns stuff like that we do a lot of mega mech on our own discord through wolfnet it's, Which is it's, a great communication device. Yep. Yes. It it uh it's all the fun of classic battletech without having to do the math because it all does it for you. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend downloading Mega Mech. Um and if you do, join the Wolfnet Radio Discord channel and hop into games. Uh, again, we have I just looked at our numbers. We have about five hundred people on our discord and we're all over the world and there's usually a game going on sometimes. So uh, Tuesday nights, Thursday tu nights, Tuesday night fights all, yeah, the time. It's all the time. Uh, another one thing I wanted to mention is we have a tabletop simulator, uh, mod, uh, mod for 
Alpha Strike 350 or just Alpha Strike in general, but we made it to be able to play the 350. Along with Mega Mech, this is more of a of an Alpha Strike uh, computer software. You get it on Steam. I think it's 20 bucks, but they usually have like a half off every other month or something like that. It's a lot of fun. We are going to start dabbling with doing uh, our Thursday night throwdowns uh, on Tabletop Simulator. Because why should Matt and Tommy and I have all the fun? So uh, if I get this episode out in time, I think this Thursday we're going to do the Thursday night throwdown on Tabletop Simulator. So that'll be fun. We're going to give that a shot. Uh, hopefully promote that a lot more. So those are three of the big things that I had on my news and community. So, Well, then uh, another new community news piece um, just came out uh, today, this afternoon. Um, well, we're recording this on Sunday, so this might be old news. But uh, Ironwind Metals just released a statement saying that they will be increasing prices on their minis. Um, so... Um, that will be effective Saturday, the 16th. So, um, I guess you just head over to Aries games and minis and get your minis ordered now. So that way, uh, whatever price increases come down the pipe that, uh, you can avoid them. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and I mean, too, with, with the, uh, kind of the state of the, the world, kind of an expected you know I, I imagine supply lines and everything getting a hold of all their stuff is hard um so uh i'm not like even like upset about it more just a uh a heads up to everybody that that's a thing that will be happening so you know if in a couple of weeks you're uh perusing minis don't be surprised if they're a few bucks more i'm surprised it actually took this long for this announcement i was always expecting this to come and i just i was surprised it took this long yeah yeah i know and i i mean i think that just speaks to iron wind trying to you know uh hang in there as long as possible without doing anything drastic or changing anything because they they really do try to look out for the community so yeah uh, hat, hats off to them for that but yeah inflation's going everywhere yeah it's get a little crazy but I keep telling myself it's going to come back down. <laughs> well, hopefully it will. Of course, that would involve the world coming to peace. Yeah. Charles, you had an event. I I was at an event, yes. I was at Res, uh, Remember Rasselhag uh, a couple weeks ago now. Um, it was a... Well, I've talked about it so many times, it, but it was a great turnout. There were a total of uh, 12 Alpha Strike players and six uh, Total Warfare players. Uh, they they did both um, co concurrently, sort of. Um, the uh, there Since there was only six Total Warfare players, well, five, and they had a fill-in, but that's kind of beside the point. But uh, uh, they they ran fewer rounds of that. So they had longer, fewer longer rounds than Alpha Strike, but uh, they used the uh, Wolfnet 350 rules with very few adjustments. I think they like banned uh, wing and ground effect just because they have really complicated, weird rules that, um, you know, like, and also I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody run one in the 350. So I feel like that was a very like minimal 
uh, heartache for anybody. I don't think anybody's like, oh man, I was going to run my whatever. Um, <laughs> I think there was one in Florida. I think somebody I, brought one to Florida. I think there was Crazy. one in Florida. Yeah. But I don't know if he ever used it. <laughs> well, we could test yeah. that. Um, but yeah, and, was, and they also, I uh, experimented with preset terrain just to make the tournament run faster, um, showed up that, that morning and they had all the uh, boards already set up. So that way it, it took 10 minutes out of, uh, off every round. So that was interesting. Um, it was all set up fair, you know, like that was all done really well. They, uh, rearranged the uh, schedule for every round so that way clan would be facing off with inner sphere to keep with the theme of uh you know remember Rasselhag. so uh that part i think got a little difficult because the clan players were doing so well um and i have my own theories on that which <laughs> i will go into now i will go into now um basically well and we've talked before a bunch of times about how uh, our 350 scenarios um, are currently a little leany towards uh, speed. Um, so I think then having the clans having access to stuff like dashers and Koshi's, you know, stuff that moves faster than most of the 3050 era inner sphere stuff gave them sure. a little bit of an advantage. Um, also, they were all, you know, they were all running around with dashers packing gnomes and whatnot so <laughs> um but anyway uh so yeah i had a great time played my first round was against matt um he was running a little a little late but we still got a great game in um i eked out a win by uh, rolling one damage with my wasp and getting <laughs> a uh, cockpit critical on his ryokin so oh, dirty wow. dice won me that game i won by i think 13 because it was a stand-up fight so i won by 13 pv wow and his ryokin was 30 some pv so <laughs> you know I, that's I, pretty close yeah the dice totally handed me that one though <laughs> um <laughs> so you're saying uh, it was a skill <laughs> yeah well i i skillfully put my wasp behind his ryokin and then skillfully rolled two 12s in a row yeah that's that was all skill um and then i played mike i uh, had a great fight um had a lot of fun because we were on an urban map um and because of the uh is versus clan um, I ended up re repeating a stand-up fight, but so I, I fought Mike in a stand-up fight. That was a lot of fun. Um, he, he, to his credit, he was not afraid to get brawly with me in the city. So that was a lot of fun. He threw a dasher H into my backfield and shot up a couple of my mechs real bad. I will tell you the worst feeling is when you shoot a dasher with a lot of damage and it doesn't die the first turn, that's a horrible feeling. Because <laughs> you just want it to go away because you know if it if it's not dead, it's going to do it again. <laughs> so um, that was a great game. Then I played David. He he beat me on Rampage um, with his Dasher Gnomes. <laughs> um, and then I played uh, Delaney on Rampage as well. And she was having a wonderful time blowing up all of my things. And I, <laughs> I can't blame her. Um, and I won. I was saved by the bell on that one. I had done a whopping two damage to bunkers. And she was having so much fun blowing up all of my things that 
when time was called, that was the only damage that had been done to, oh, to bunkers. No. <laughs> so I won by two damage on the dirtiest technicality imaginable. But um, but I think she had a great time because literally I had three transports and one battle armor or no one uh, infantry platoon left. And that's all I like. I was not a threat and she's running around <laughs> with a Daishi, a Warhawk and Ooh. an Uller still. I took down the Kodiak. Was that, that was, the, was that the creeping death? You that was about? the creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Her, her uh, you know, is actually, uh, uh, the witch hunters, but, um, when, <laughs> when she, when she dropped three clan assaults on the board, I was like, Oh my God, like <laughs> they're just going to waddle forward and destroy me. That's all they're going to do. And that's exactly what they did. That that's, uh, that was it. Um, and then, yeah, just the, the swag there was amazing. I, showed these guys some photos like every uh you got uh they handed out like little pendants uh uh etched wood for uh the people to denote if you were on the clan or inner sphere side uh you know 3d printed buildings and minis and official minis and all sorts of stuff like for every round you won you got you could pick out something um and yeah no it was it was really cool i i uh I even was able to donate a couple copies of shrapnel um, and, you know, sign congratulations in them to the winner. So that was a lot of fun, but it was, it was a great event. I highly recommend anybody who's in Colorado who plays Alpha strike, or even if you don't um, great group of folks to play with and learn from. Um, I know that there were a couple people there who had like maybe two, three games of Alpha strike ever under their belt, but they had a good time. And so that's what, that's what really matters. That's what matters. What cool. was the engraving on either side for the inner sphere and clans? Uh, for the, uh, so they both had, uh, like around the outside, it said, uh, remember wrestle hag Colorado, March, 2022. And then on the inside, it said either inner sphere, Surratt or clan or scum. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of camaraderie I like. Craig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you have you ever signed a book for a fan or or anything like that or or a shrapnel? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I, I mean, think that'd be pretty cool swag in the future. So we might have to get some books sent to Craig's way and uh, maybe get some signed copies of some shrapnel or something like that. That sounds good to me. We'll have to uh, we'll have to get on that then. That'd be that'd be kind of cool. I think that would be an interesting. Uh, uh, prize. Yeah, uh, I'm all for it. Cool. Who in an Icons of War book? We might have to send a couple of those there. We'll send you some stuff. How about that? <laughs> oh, that sounds uh, good. We'll send some presents for you, too. I'm by me. Uh... Upcoming events. What's coming up, guys? Rumble on the Rivers in two weeks. Davenport, Iowa. Um... <clears throat> uh... So uh, Matt and I will be in Davenport uh, hosting the second annual Rumble on the River. Uh, we've got, I don't know, 12 to 18. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how many people are going to be there. It's been kind of a, I'm going to use it again, a goat rope trying to figure out who's all going to be there. Um, <clears throat> but we'll be there and we'll be ready to roll dice. So I just got the, uh, the first shipment of uh, prize support in from Aries, and I'm waiting for uh, the stuff to come in from Fortress. So, woohoo! 
we're a few train pieces to paint and get ready to go, but then we'll be we're ready to rock. So, so uh, just an offbeat question: Is goat groping with Craig A. Reed Jr. a bad title for this episode? Or I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, guys. Oh, was it goat roping or goat groping? Groping, Both. I think. Oh, goat, goat roping? groping. Goat groping. Groping. Okay, we'll see. Uh, yes, I will be at a wedding, so... Lame. Nobody cares. Apparently, that's you, the only excuse I have that I don't go to a wedding. You bailed on us. <laughs> you bailed on us. But I will try to be commentating on a couple of games, which we all know the best thing I do is not play Battletech, but talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say it. <laughs> debatable as well, so... <laughs> so... so I'll do what I do best, and everybody at Rumble on the River does what they do best. (laughs) Does that mean that Bloodbath is going to be doing the streaming? That's true. He's been working very hard and very well. As I I do need to make up some instructions for him, but uh, he has set up the last two or three uh, Thursday Night Throwdowns. So it's been hit and miss with the computer shutting down. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. All I can say is, if it's up and running after like 10 minutes of streaming, don't touch anything. <laughs> uh, we'll get some holy water on it. Alright, let's start with shout-outs. Craig, if you'd like to start us off with shout-outs, anybody you want to recognize and talk about, go right ahead. Well, uh, shout-out to anyone who's listening to this. I mean, uh, you you stuck along this far. You deserve all the accolades you can get. <laughs> well, it's it's been a bumpy road, but truth, we, so we, much truth, so much truth. <laughs> we try. All right, Aaron or Andrew, excuse me, Andrew. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors again, um, Derek King and and uh, Robert Ash with. Aries Games and Miniatures and Fortress Miniatures and Games for continuing to support us and the prize is a great surprise support that we get for our events. Um, again, I got a box of stuff and we're getting another box of stuff from Fortress, so it'll be a prize support plus. Um, second shout out, I gotta I gotta give out. It's been a little while, probably a year, year and a half since the last time we t- I talked about this, but uh, Carl Franklin. Uh, was one of the full Kerensky backers for the Kickstarter and was humbled me by asking whether I'd like to be his plus one. And I said, that's a, that's a really big plus one, but I would love to go attend. So Kerensky con is happening at the end of the month. So flights are booked and we're going to Seattle for a long weekend. So looking forward to that. Reached out to the, the discord page and it even sounds like we're going to have a, couple of 350 games being played so i'm excited looking forward to it so that's the weekend after rumble yep you're a busy i can't i can't do anything where i have a break if it's i'm doing something i just have to stack it all up and get through it so all right aaron so i have to shout out brent evans because i don't know if any of you guys get emails that start with What's up? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark from Brent Evans. (laughs) 
He apparently has just now seen probably the last six months of messenger notes that I've sent him that have gone on deaf ears. <laughs> but uh, he did email me back. He is very interested in uh, the challenge, which he issued to us almost a year, a year ago. ago. Well, it's six months. Um, Give him six months. Yeah, six months. Anyway, um, so yes, uh, <laughs> we will try to get that uh, together. And uh, he has some interesting ideas for it. And uh, so I just have to shout out Brett Evans because I know he's never going to listen to this episode, but uh, I just can't really picture Brent Evans going, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that's how I uh, am going to take that. So I just had to shout out Brent for that. And uh, hopefully we'll have some news on the next podcast for that interesting uh, Catalyst Game Labs versus... Wolfnet Radio Mega Mech Challenge. So, or Alpha Strike Challenge. Ooh. Yeah, we do have Tabletop Simulator now. We could all play mm-hmm. at one time. That could be interesting. Charles. Uh, yeah. Uh, I got a whole list of shout outs from uh, Remember Essel Hag. So, uh, Matt A., um, my opponent from that first game, totally gets a shout out for me winning due to Dirty Dice. Um, it doesn't help any that it was the uh, WNRP uh, fire dice. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like that was just like, uh, you know, that was just extra salt in the wound. Yes. Um, but 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 he was an excellent sport. He even came up to me after the after everything and uh, had me sign a uh, WNRP patch. So, uh, shout, huge shout out to him. Thank you for being a good sport and like not flipping the table when I rolled all those 12s because <laughs> I kind of wanted to flip the table for you because I was like I just oh felt gross um uh next up is definitely not Alex he does not get a shout out um <laughs> and then uh Matt E he gets a huge shout out he was the coordinator of the entire uh, remember us like event um he did a great job everything ran smooth uh he was on top of everything just the amount of uh because the number of uh prizes that came from the 3d printing community here in colorado he had uh, like spreadsheets upon spreadsheets trying to just keep track of where everything was and who it was coming from and when it was going to show up and he did an amazing job um the uh breakfast crew had a great time hanging out with those guys um a uh unofficial official uh shout out here to thunderhead studio um they make uh 3d printable terrain um he did a ton of uh buildings for remember wrestlehag he really hooked the event up um so if you go to i think he's on steel warrior along with a lot of those other uh, 3d printer uh, folks um but check him out he's got some very cool uh hex based terrain and stuff um, I, got his, and, I got a bunch of his stuff it's really good really good yeah stuff. yeah i mean it's just excellent i like at at the end they were like here's the stuff you know like stuff that had been used as terrain on the tables and they were like this is all donated go ahead and take some um and it was really tempting just to like swipe 
the whole table because it looked that good, <laughs> even though I know I have nowhere to put it. But I, oh man, it looked that good. Um, and also, he's a cool guy. He does Twitch streams and paints and all sorts of stuff. So um, look him up, Thunderhead Studio. Um, and then last, but most definitely not least, Bourbon for being a great partner in crime. Thanks, Ben. Matt. Uh, first of all, thanks to Kevin Witt for helping me out with some airbrush advice on setup and, um, experience guidance. That was kind of nice. Um, haven't dabbled in it yet. So now we're getting it figured out with a compressor and some choices on brushes and Travis Gardner with HPG renegade HPG had sent me. Oh, nice. Nice play mat. CCG playmats for Battletech, which I am always a, been a huge fan with. It's a nice sky uh, background with two bushwhackers on it, yellow. So you can find those at half price. I think they're 35 bucks now. That's pretty cool. Awesome. Cool. And they came super fast. So anybody got anything else? I just uh, also want to thank all of our Patreon members. Um, I know we don't probably do that enough but you guys are helping us do a lot for pushing our 350 tournaments and getting us to places i know we mentioned you last episode but we really need to start doing a lot of like thanking you guys more because it does help a lot and you you allow us to do what we are trying to do with uh reaching out to the battletech community and everything we do here so i just want to thank all of our patreons i'm going to try to uh in all of my shout outs do at least two or three patreons uh every every show so thank you for supporting us we very much appreciate it thank you if you want to contact us with questions concerns at wnrp at wolstergames.com or you can visit us on youtube discord patreon facebook the queensboro site with apparel get your um, hats hat yeah, sell get your hats well, have a pleasant evening and a great tomorrow Ooh. Ooh. woof <laughs>